0: Welcome to Onco Farm Pod. I'm your host, John Bazaar. Thanks for joining us uh, again on this on this pod. Um wanna let you know that you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDonib, uh, F sorry, not F. P-H-A-R-M-D-E-E-T-I-N-I-B. And you can also follow the podcast at OncofarmPod all one word. Uh, thanks to those of you who have subscribed in iTunes. I would encourage you to rate and review us. Helps other people find the podcast. Um, and if there's a specific issue you'd like to hear about, uh, let us know in the review. You know, I'd like to hear more about, I don't know, cisplatin or more about, you know, prostate cancer or whatever you like. Let us know and, and we, can, uh, we can get into that. A little bit of an update on where we're going with the podcast. I'm going to try and put these out every two weeks. Uh, with a focus on new drug approvals. If there's a new drug that's approved, I'll try and get one out pretty quickly. Um, So on an every two-week schedule or Q2 weeks, the last pot of 2017 uh, is going to be in mid-December and um, probably going to be a a 2017 review of uh, maybe the top five uh, stories in OncoPharm this year. This, uh, for this pot I want to talk about the Tales of Brave uh, And Aressa, of course, is the brand name of Jafitnim, and that's a little bit of a take on um, the Cream song, Tales of Brave Ulysses. Uh, Cream's great, by the way. You got, if you don't like Cream, you ought to get into Cream. It's a great band. Clapton is a genius. Anyway, the reason that I think uh, Jafitnim is brave, well, I'll save that for the end. But I think there's something to learn from Jafitnim's story. And briefly, if you're not familiar with Jafitnib, it's, it's an EGFR TKI, originally approved in the United States more than a decade ago. Then it was basically taken off the market, and then it came back in. And I think this illustrates uh, how new drugs um, come into clinical practice before we know what we need to know about them. Um, and, that, and that can be okay, but I think Jafitnib really illustrates that story well. Um, and this is not a, a new thing. If you go back to Emil or Tom Fry or Emil Fryreich or Fryrich, uh, you know, back in the days of the NCI developing the VAMP, Vincristine, uh, Aminophthrin, 6-MP prednisone for leukemia, uh, DaVita developing MOP. At that time, you know, in the, the, the genesis of combination chemotherapy, there was a debate, and this is pretty well described in um, The Imperval Maladies by uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee. Uh, It's another mention from that book, so if you haven't read it, pick that up. But there was a really important question at that time among researchers and society and the funders of research, and should our primary question be, what's the cause of cancer? So these would have been probably the, the scientists, you know, the cancer scientists leading this, this chart say we got to find out what causes cancer before we know the best way to treat it. And then you had the clinician saying, well, we, we know these drugs have activity. Let's continue to develop these well-designed clinical trials, testing three drugs versus four, testing these four versus, a, you know, a different fourth drug with the other three drugs. Let's continue that approach and see what we can find. Um, because we can get that done faster maybe than we can figure out what is the cause of all cancer? What's the cause of leukemia or breast cancer, so to speak? And it's a good thing that the clinicians moved on the way they did, uh, because at that time, you know, cure rates for pediatric ALL were 5%. Now they're above 90%, largely thanks to those well-designed clinical trials. And thousands of children's lives have been saved because of that, uh, because uh, they move forward with tinkering with their treatment regimens, tinkering, in a well-designed clinical control uh, format uh, versus understanding the disease better and then designing treatments based on what we know about the disease. And that's why I think Jafitnib's an enlightening story. So Jafitnib, again, it's an EGFR TKI, first approved in the US in May of 2013, more than a decade ago. So as a bit of context, the number one song on the billboard charts in the US at that time was In The Club by 50 Cent. And the number one movie And this, they they got the number one movie two weeks in a row was X2, X-Men United. I've heard in the club. I have not seen X-Men United. And this approval was based off of Phase two studies, Ideal one and Ideal two. So these were surrogate marker endpoint studies looking at response rate. Ideal one was gefitinib for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer patients, second liner later. Ideal two was third liner later. And as you probably know the longer, the the later you are in treatment, the harder the disease is to treat. So in the second line, or or worse group, ideal one, the overall response rate was 18.4%. In the ideal two group, which was third line or later, so a more heavily pretreated group, the response rate was 11.8%. So, uh, you know, 40% less or so than the second line groups. Uh, these were surrogate markers, you know, so. Progression-free survival, overall survival, was not the primary endpoint, and that got the drug approved. So gefitinib was on the market based on those two studies. Now, ISIL, or I-S-E-L, was the phase three study, and this was by, published uh, by Thatcher and Collings in Lancet in 2005. And this was gefitinib in the second or third line setting for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer versus placebo. Um, and there was no overall survival difference. So, the drug was approved based on response rate. It was compared to placebo, and what we care most about in oncology is overall response rate. No difference compared to placebo. P-value was 0.087, and the survival curves, uh, Kaplan-Meier curves, are virtually superimposed until the very end. of and maybe separates a little bit, but that difference was not significant overall. So, approved based on response rate, larger study compared to placebo shows no overall survival benefit. The FDA basically removes the drug in June of 2005. There's a caveat that if you were on gefitinib as a patient and receiving benefit, you could continue gefitinib, which meant basically, you know, six months or six to nine months after June 25, nobody in America would have been on uh, gefitinib based on what we know. Well, at that point, basically at the same time, so that's June 05, the FDA removes it, in November of 2004, so just six months earlier, erlotinib, also an EGFR TKI, is approved by the FDA for same indication, non-small metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. And that was based off the BR21. This was also metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, second or third line treatment, a um, little bit different, and the patients uh, in the erlotinib study, BR21, did not have to be uh, refractory or intolerant to chemo. They could have just been, quote, ineligible. So you can think of some elderly patients, maybe a uh, uh, not so great ECOG, store, ECOG score got enrolled in this study prior to, to maybe receiving uh, chemo for metastatic disease. So maybe a little bit healthier patient population or a little bit less resistant patient population than the, uh, the ISIL study with gefitinib. Well, the overall response rate, BR21, was 9% amongst all comers. But what they noticed, and before I get to the subgroup analysis, the median overall survival was longer for erlotinib, 6.7 months versus 4.7 with placebo. So a two month difference in median OS, and after that, survival curves uh, do what they do in non small lung cancer and, and head towards zero. So, response rate, 9%. And again, these are all going to be partial responses for the most part. So, 9% overall response rate. However, if you looked at the people who had never smoked, that response rate was above 24%. Asians, about 19%. Adenocarcinoma histology, 14%. And then females, 14%. All of those higher than the all-comer response rate of 9%. And that got people thinking, hmm, maybe there's something to those folks. Uh, And again, that was erlotinib. Uh, And we didn't see this benefit versus placebo with gefitinib. And one of the theories behind this is that the erlotinib group was less heavily pretreated. And there's some evidence to this if you look at the the response, uh, not the response, but the, basically, yeah, the response to their most prior chemotherapy. So in the ISIL group, the gefitinib study, um, amongst those patients, 18% of them had some response to their most prior chemo, prior to enrollment. With the erlotinib study and BR21, that number is, is more than twice that at 38%. So the erlotinib groups seem to be less heavily pretreated, and, and thus less likely to be resistant to treatment, it seems. But I think the big takeaway from that erlotinib study is we've identified some hypothesis generating uh, statements that maybe never smokers, Asians uh, that have adenone or female, maybe they are the ones who do better um, with EGFR TKIs. That led to the IPAS study, and this is Mock and New England Journal of Medicine, September of 2009, and they had a selected population. So they were looking for those East Asian never-smoking females uh, that had adenocarcinoma, so their final uh, cohort were 80% female, almost entirely East Asian, uh, more than 99% East Asian, 94% were never-smokers, and 96% had adenohistology. And they randomized them to gefitinib or carboplatin paclitaxel. At that time, very standard regimen for, for any non-small cell lung cancer including adeno. Uh, today You might have seen Carbopim, although Carbopim, Carbopaclitaxel, um, you could argue about uh, are those equal or not for sure. Uh, Anyway, the response rates, 43% for Gefitinib and 32.2% for Paclitaxel, so higher response rate in the Gefitinib group. Uh, Median progression free survival though, the same, 5.7 versus 5.8, and the overall survival, and this is published later in an update, are the same. And the changes in overall survival are hypothesized due to, um, due to crossover effect. But the Kaplan-Meier curve for progression-free survival is fascinating. It's my favorite Kaplan-Meier curve. So I told you the median overall, median progression-free survival was the same, 5.7, 5.4. But the hazard ratio, and so primary endpoint was PFS, pr- progression-free survival using a Cox proportional hazard uh, model So their hazard ratio was 0.74 with a p-value that was statistically significant, less than 0.01, favoring gefitinib. Well, how can the PFS be the same, but gefitinib was better? Well, if you look at the survival curves initially, there's more progression or death in the gefitinib group compared to the chemo group. But after about six months in, the survival curves or the Kaplan-Meier curves cross for PFS. And the chemo group starts to head downhill very quickly while the gefitinib group kind of flattens out and you see a, a larger separation of curves from months eight to 16 favoring gefitinib. And that's where the progression-free survival benefit came in with gefitinib. So it's a wonderful study if you teach clinical trial analysis to, to trainees to look at the IPASS study and look at how those kaplan curves cross. Uh, it's really enlightening. But what we got from this study, and again, these are all East Asians. So here in America, uh, with, you know, largely Caucasian and African-American population. Maybe not the greatest external validity, but what we did learn is that the initial approval of Jafitinib, <clears throat> which was just in everybody, we had found a better population for that drug. And those were the females, East Asian, with adno who had never smoked. Um, well, why? What, what does female and being East Asian have to do with Jafitinib working? Is this a pharmacokinetic issue with, uh, with Asian, uh, is it um, a, a disease issue because never smokers have a different disease? Is it adeno, is it histology issue? This was before the Scagliotti paper where we really learned um, that that histology makes a difference with non-small cell lung cancer. Well, next comes the N E 2 a Northeast Japanese study. Um, again, an, an Asian study uh, by Maimondo in uh, New England Journal of Medicine in 2010. And they were looking at only those patients, not that were Asian or female, but those that had an activating EGFR mutation. So it'd be like an exon 19 deletion, an exon 20L, 858 ar eight, substitution. So just those patients. And they randomized them to gefitinib or carbopaclitaxel, same chemo. Overall response rates for gefitinib, 74%. Chemo, 31%. Medium PFS, 10.8 months versus 5.4 months. Blue, uh, chemo out of the water. Overall survival, no difference, uh, probably due to crossover. So let's go back. First, overall response rate numbers we see with jifitinib. In an unselected population, um, 10 to 20%. In a selected population, those that are female, East Asian, never-spokers, adeno, 40, 43%. And then you just look at those that have the the EGFR activating mutations. Now you're above 70%. Uh, it took us a while to learn that um now eventually there were um, similar studies done in caucasians and uh so one big one was the uh, dewy in 2014 in the british journal <coughs> british journal of cancer which was actually a phase four open label single arm study that the um, there was only an egfr positive patient's response rate 70 <clears> percent <throat> similar to what we saw uh, in the Maimondo study in edj 2 so we're seeing now response rates of 70% with gefitinib, and uh, in a um, in the right population, in those that have uh, the EGFR activating mutation. So in July 2015, gefitinib is granted a regular approval for the first-line treatment of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer that has the EGFR activating mutation. And at this time, uh, erlotinib has also had its uh, approval narrowed to only those uh, that have the EGFR activating mutation. And it took us more than a decade to figure this out. Well, so what? Who cares about gefitinib? Uh, you know, we don't use jafitnib in our practice, where our lotnib, fatnib and osimertinib. we don't use a ton of gefitinib in our practice, and, and you may be similar. So why do we care about, uh, you know, this tale of brave Aressa? Well, it was brave because Jafitnib went out there Um, before we knew the basic science that we know now. And they tried it, and they, through trial and error, determined who this worked best in. Now, you could argue, we should have waited and learned more about uh, the disease of non-small cell lung cancer, the role of histology, the role of smoking, the role in EGFR mutations before, uh, before we learned that. And there's validity in that. But if we had waited that whole time, there are some patients who benefited from these drugs who would have missed out on the benefit. On the flip side of the coin, there are patients who got gefitinib or Lotnib, whatever, who were not going to benefit because they didn't have the EGFR activating mutation and had rash and diarrhea that they didn't need to. And that's fair as well, and I think that it's important to consider this in this historical context uh, because you know we're going to focus on new drugs that come out, and when new drugs come out, or you know we talked about on the last pod, uh, an approval for uh, you know based on a study of 22 patients. So sometimes, you know, we don't have a ton of data when these drugs come out. I think it's useful to think of the history. I think a good rule of thumb is you never want to be the first to use a drug and the last to use a drug that's really helpful. Um, you know, and if you think back to tamoxifen, when it first was being studied, it was studied in all breast cancer patients. It took some time to figure out it was just those that had a an estrogen receptor that was positive or progesterone receptor was positive, that those were the patients who, who benefited from Tamoximin. Think of Cetuximab and, and KRAS, NRAS mutations in, in colon cancer. It took a while to learn about KRAS mutations and Cetuximab not working in those patients. NRAS came a little bit later. So it takes some time to learn about these drugs as they come out, and that's why I think it was, it was useful to kind of do this deep dive uh, on gefitinib. Um, And I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if not, I apologize. Go ahead and, and rate me and review me in the iTunes store. Let us know what you'd like to hear instead. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks, wrapping up 2017. Hope you guys had a great year.